Dismissed from drama school with a note that read, wasting her time, she's too shy to put her best foot forward. Turned down by the Decca recording company who said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. A failed soldier, farmer, and real estate agent. At 38 years old, he went to work for his father as a handyman. Cut from the high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. A teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything, and he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. His fiance died, he failed in business twice, he had a nervous breakdown, and he was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, you've never lived. The, the list goes on and on. 27 publishers rejected Theodore Geisel's first children's book. You know him better as Dr. Seuss. Albert Einstein didn't speak a word till he was four, couldn't read till he was seven, and his teachers labeled him mentally slow. Ray Kroc failed at 50 businesses before he succeeded with the first McDonald's. My personal favorite, Steven Spielberg, rejected three times by the USC School of Film. USC is like the easiest place in the world to get into. I went to UCLA. We view many of these individuals as, as great successes in our culture. And, and as you can see, they all had rather serious failures or setbacks at some point, which ultimately shaped who they became. And, and in many cases, these experiences pushed them harder to succeed, to move past what occurred, and to ultimately achieve their dreams, their plans. Well, God, too, has a plan for each and every one of us who know him as a true loving father. He has is, he is even mapped out a perfect design for each one of us. He sees the beginning, and he sees the end of the design. And thankfully, he's aware of all the stuff in the middle, all the experiences we encounter along the way to the finished product, both the good and the bad. And these experiences, just like all those famous people, they, they shape us and mold us, and they either help us or hold us back from achieving God's perfect design. But again, thankfully... God is there through this journey of life. God is there to pick us up, to hold us, and in many, many, many cases, to simply carry us through life's experiences. So no matter what stage of life we're in, no matter our age, no matter what we have accomplished in life so far, we are chock full of experiences, some similar to those around us, some very, very different. And when we reflect on these experiences, even the very painful ones, we can begin to understand how they can be used for God's kingdom and glory. Sometimes these, these things seem very ordinary and mundane. Some, some experiences are miraculous. Sometimes they're dark and ugly. Yesterday, I turned 45. Not a big deal, except for the fact it reminded me that roughly 40 years ago, at about the age of five, I was given my first batch of pornography to view, to keep, to add to, and it led to a 34-year addiction, which led to worse trespasses, grief, pain, and a long trail of harm to those I deeply cared for. It also led to daily recovery, 
to hope and a reliance on God that I might never have found if God didn't step in, lovingly convict me, encourage me, strengthen me, and set me on a much better course than the path I chose for myself. That's what God does with our experiences through the sacrifice of his beloved son. He exposes the dangerous ones. He, he celebrates the wonderful ones. He takes what the world views as a wretch, and he cleans us up and claims us as his precious child. And he does this over and over and over again. I didn't read this book, but I, I love the title. Robert Shuler wrote it years ago, Turning Hurts into Halos and Scars into Stars. That, that nails it. That's what God does when we are giving him the room to work. So I offer up to you this morning, greater things can be accomplished in our lives, greater victories for his kingdom and the opportunity to achieve God's perfect design for us through the tough and painful experiences rather than the easy and pretty experiences. So with your Bibles, please, please turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And before we unpack these verses and how they relate to our lives, just a, just a recap about Paul and the Corinthians. Corinth, very wealthy, well-to-do port city in Greece. And if it wasn't there, essentially it would have, it, Greece would have been separated into two main islands. But Paul helped to establish the church in Corinth right smack dab in a city noted for debauchery and immorality. The saying, to live like a Corinthian, basically meant anything goes especially in relation to adultery, various forms of paganism, and just an all-out depravity. Well, the church did grow over time, but eventually its past caught up with it, and many believers fell back into their old lifestyle. There was dissension among the church leaders, false teachings, and basically they began to try to discredit Paul and his co-workers. Word got back to Paul, and a second letter was written to the church at Corinth, not only to encourage them to persevere in Christ and clean up their act, but also, Paul aimed to defend himself in the midst of the undermining of his apostolic authority and false accusations about him and his ministry. And in the second letter, Paul also writes how he, too, is no stranger to suffering. So we pick things up in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The NIV calls these vessels jars of clay. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Rain, rain on my face hasn't stopped raining for days. My world is a flood. Slowly, I become one with the mud. I was saved in 1995, right about the time that the Christian band Jars of Clay broke onto the secular music scene with their, with their song Flood. And I had no idea what the words Jars of Clay meant in the Bible. I was a new believer, and, and I really didn't care because I was excited I was listening to Christian music, and I liked the song. But think about it. My world is a flood. Slowly, I become one with the mud. It's a pretty good example of some of the painful things we experience. My world is a flood. I'm drowning here. Save me, please. Save me. First point, it's in your bulletin. It's the contents, not the container. We are described as Jars of clay, clay pots, earthen and fragile, easily broken. You drop one of these pots and ksh, busted, broken. If we're lucky, sometimes in half, most of the time in a thousand little pieces. How often does this perfectly describe our lives and our experiences? 
And in contrast to us, a flimsy, breakable container is an absolute treasure. This is the gospel. This is the good news of God the Father willing to send his beloved son to die a horrible death for me, a screwed up piece of mud and water. Do you see the difference here between the container and the contents? And I'm not trying to be a martyr and just beat, beat myself up. I, I'm amazed that God chooses me, picks me to put this amazing treasure inside of. And he wants us to shine his light to a dark world. And inside every believer is this amazing light, pure treasure. But, but the world comes along and it, it breaks us. Or in many cases, we break ourselves through terrible choices and selfishness. But God doesn't pull away that treasure from us. He's a very patient God. He'll wait until we finally figure out how our brokenness, our experiences can be used so his light can be brightly shown, greater than we ever imagined. And I love the example of a fire alarm in a glass case. Sometimes the glass has to be broken to sound the alarm and save lives. That's us many, many times. And we've heard God described as the potter. And who are we? We are the clay. He forms us and creates us for his good use. And when our experiences break us, that is where God really works. He reaches inside of us, and he turns ugly situations into shiny gleams of light for a dying world to see. Left alone, this container would screw up the contents every single time. And that contents, it's a message of salvation and grace. We have to be willing to let go of everything. Sometimes to lose everything, become obscure. So when God steps in and repairs and rejuvenates things, his beautiful contents will pour out of us. Verses 8 through 10. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Second point, our experiences may take us to the end of our rope, but never to the end of hope. Verses 8 and 9 use descriptions of trials, frustrations, agonizing experience, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and bad things happen all the time to us and those around us. Sometimes they aren't even our fault. Believe me, Paul gets this. He's no stranger to, stuff, to, to, to tough times, beatings, shipwrecks, snake bites, stoning, persecution, prison. But look what Paul says. Paul follows up with hard-pressed with, yet not crushed. Perplexed with, but not in despair. Persecuted with, but not forsaken. Perplexed. But, but not in despair, persecuted, struck down with, but not destroyed. He is telling us that God gets it. God knows, and you better believe his precious son gets it. He suffered more than really we can even comprehend. Christ endured the cross with no gain for himself, but for us. He went to a place of weakness, brokenness, shame, and vul vulnerability. Maybe similar experiences we've had but happily, not to that extent. And hear me out this morning. I, these things aren't mentioned to just convict you and me to suck it up, 
pray harder, quit whining when tough times come. If you know me, I'm the chief of whiners. It's a cultural thing. The suffering of Christ is an invitation from our Father, our God, who says, I know, I know. Come to me, all you who are weary. Give these things to me. I know what to do with them. Some I will fix and make new. Some I will send to the bottom of the ocean. Some I will place as far as the east is from the west. And some, and this is not always the answer we like to hear, some I will use to help others. Sometimes inside we must die so others can live. Paul shows us that no matter how bad it gets, God will not let us perish. He will not let us be destroyed. So we, I, ask, uh, wouldn't it just be easier if God stopped the bad experiences or saved us from having to go through some of this pain and suffering? Of course it would be easier and neater and clean and efficient. But where would the growth be? Where would the change be? How could we ever live up to the amazing things God has in store for us to accomplish? And it, and it, brings, it brings us to the question of the ages, I think, in our Christian walk. Why is there suffering? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? And I don't know if there's one answer to those questions, but, but I read something, in, in, actually, in Christian fiction years ago, and it, and it kind of gave me some clarity the main character in this book is a brand-new Christian, big, tough, ex-Navy SEAL, and, and, and he's just upset like crazy. And, and he's, he's asking this woman, a Christian he's talking to, and, and he starts mumbling the names of, of small children over the past few decades who have been kidnapped, murdered, abused, terrible, sinful things done to them and subsequently their families, and he is ticked off about it. And, and he asked her, he's, he's just, how can you tell me that God is merciful and loving when he sits by and allows this stuff to happen to these innocents? And the answers come later from this, from this woman he's talking with. And she says to him, well, it's all about his love. And the guy, the guy screams at her, he's just, love? Are you kidding me? All this horror and grief, and you say, Love? And she goes on to clarify. She says, look, one thing I know is God is far more upset and in anguish over this than you and I can ever be. God was there holding the hand of this precious little child while they suffered. God was there to welcome them into his loving arms the moment they left this earth. And God has been ready to wipe out this horrific, sinful human race and bring judgment to all of us, which we all deserve for far longer than we've been upset about tragedies that occur in this world. This evil has been going on for centuries, and yet God mercifully does not pull the plug and cast us all down into the fiery pit because he loves us. He has stomached countless horrors, one after the other, just so you and I could be saved. But one day his patience will run out, and he will draw a line in the sand, we never know when that time is, but in the meantime, he allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He waits patiently because there are millions and millions that still do not know him. There is someone out there, if just given one more day, will be saved. Yet still others suffer because we live in a fallen world. Do you see? It's because 
of his love, she says. For he wishes not one to perish and be separated from him for eternity. And we too here, we're, we're impatient for his return, but still he waits. And there continues to be pain that we must endure, and we must die daily to our sin, to our flesh, so that Christ's love and light may live. Our experiences, they harm us, but they also shape us and mold us. And God can use our experiences for his kingdom, perhaps, so another can be saved. So when we get to the end of our rope, it isn't the end of hope. In fact, I have placed hope in me many times, and countless times I've let myself down, failed when things got tough. These trials and tribulations are times when our faith in self can be, can be taken away, and we're left with no hope in the flesh. But the result, happily, is sometimes we have nothing but the Lord. The brokenness can break us of our sense of control, and all that is left is God's perfect love and provision as we are driven to him where grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation lies. And then, then he can start to work his plan through us. Third point, our experiences do not dictate who we are, but they help determine what God wants us to do. Verse 13 starts, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul's examples here, as as he shows some of his sufferings that occur, are for the Corinthians' sake. He reminds him that he and others endure things as a witness for them and others, not just for himself. All this is for your benefit. It's kind of simple when you break it down. God suffers and makes the ultimate sacrifice for our salvation. We have the example, so when trials come our way and we suffer, we will seek God, give him all the glory as he delivers us through the trials, and eventually our examples can be used to serve others, and so on and so on. Neat and tidy, huh? You know, nothing is neat and tidy with us. We're human. Experiences happen, and and as I mentioned before, we try to take over and solve them, to try to justify them, to try to fix, even to try to hide. And we determine whether this or that experience is good or bad. A good analogy is the wind and the fire. And I read this. I, I can't take credit for it, but it makes perfect sense to me. When, when someone wants to start a fire and it is windy out, the wind comes and puts out the fire. It makes it very difficult to start, okay? So, so it is deemed bad because it messes up our plans. But when you start the fire and want to keep it going, the wind is needed. And so it is deemed good because it helps to accomplish what our goal is. So similar to those experiences or, or even the people we come into contact with, we either declare them good if it helps us or bad if it hinders us. And last week, Pastor Mike touched on our desires and how they can help accomplish God's plan for us. And we all have had good experiences, which are extremely important and can be used by God. But really, God is the only one that can judge good or bad. And he does so not by how they affect our plans, but how they accomplish his. His plan for us is to become fully devoted followers of Christ and everything that goes with that. And we are supposed to strive for this 
even when something doesn't seem good for us or for our plans or our timing or desire. What can be done with our experiences? How can they be used by the Lord? How can we be used to serve and align ourselves with God's perfect plan for our lives, even when we believe and feel we are washed up, we are too old or too young, we are too sinful or too jaded, too frightened, or simply just too tired? As I just mentioned, try not to get caught up in determining if something is bad or good. God will determine this for us and what is best to do so he can use our situations for his glory, not, his own, not our own. Also, it is absolutely essential to understand that our experiences do not dictate who we are. In years past, I've spoken about our true identity, who we really are, big, short, skinny, brown, yellow. God says no. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, simply and wonderfully, we are a child of God, a precious love beyond all imagination, child of God. But things come and and they happen to us and they label us and they scar us and we get stuck on this stuff and we can't move on from it. And many times in our past, we have done some really ugly, sinful things, things nobody can know about. We suppress them, we hide and lock them away out of fear of discovery. We often say, I've done some awful things no one can know about. God can never use me. I'm not worthy. Get over yourself. You can, we can never be worthy. We have to be very careful not to dictate what God can and can't do with our lives, our experiences. But we try to hide in the dark, to hide our experiences instead of letting God work them into testimonies and treasures. Things that can be used to help and serve and further his kingdom. Sometimes it seems we perish here on earth. Maybe tragedy is struck so hard that we die inside. God does not leave us here in death. He has a power to resurrect us here in life. An example... A woman is attacked. She's violated and suffers terribly. The emotional scars stay with her long after the trauma. She, and definitely the world, views her as a rape victim. That is how she sees herself. That is how the world sees her. But that is not how God sees her. He sees her exactly in her true identity, a precious, fragile child of God. That is who she really is. Yes, She was a victim of a rape, but she is no longer, she is not a rape victim. And when she begins to see herself as God sees her, she can claim her true identity and begin the hard work of healing and moving past this tragic experience. And it it is by no means easy and will take tremendous perseverance, tremendous faith, daily hard work, probably counseling, the support of those around her, but with God's strength. She can emerge and move to places that may seem illogical, such as forgiveness, such as boldness in sharing her experience with others and living life from a position of strength and confidence rather than shame and fear. God has manifested in her recovery and healing, and she now takes this to a world suffering through similar tragedies, and she becomes God's example of hope and faith and love. This is how the contents 
shine from the broken container. This is how we realize exactly who we are as God's saints, designed for his purpose and glory in an imperfect world. And just like Paul says in verse 14, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. God can raise us from the things that kill us inside. He can resurrect us as he did with Christ. He can resuscitate us. He can make us whole again, and he can use us mightily for change, to love, and to serve in his kingdom. Verse 16 reads, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Final point. Experiences of trial do not last forever, but they can help us to make an impact that will last forever. Chapter 4 ends with Paul giving a rally cry to persevere. Life happens, and it happens at breakneck speed, and, and when we least expect it. Therefore, do not lose heart, he writes. Rather than give up, Paul chose to focus on experiencing the inner strength of the Holy Spirit. And the great news is we have this gift as well. Paul looks to see how he can be used, how he can serve those around him, especially the struggling saints in Corinth. And this this second letter to the Corinthians, in a way, was used to, to validate Paul's entire ministry. Tons of bad things happened to Paul. And yet historians speak of Paul as, as Christianity's, one of Christianity's most prolific servants, mainly only second to Christ. Look at all the bad things Paul went through during his entire ministry. And in addition, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners, not to mention one of the greatest hunter, murderer, persecutors of Christians before that transformation on the road to Damascus. Similar to Paul, our experiences of trial and limitations and suffering and failures and sin have remarkable benefits. Five points. They're in your outline. One, they remind us of Christ's suffering for us, not in a guilt-ridden way, but a realization of how much we are loved and cared for by our Heavenly Father. Two, they keep us from pride, acknowledging that triumphs of the Spirit are not for our glory, but for God's glory. Last month, we took a trip out to Denver for my, my eldest daughter's college graduation. And one night we drove down to Colorado Springs and we attended church with, with some friends of ours. And, and the pastor there spoke on what he thought, what he considered the worst of sins. And that was pride, which is a sin of character and it's usually internal. And most other sins are external and they're committed because of pride. We've got to watch out for pride. Three. They cause us to look beyond this brief life. No trial lasts forever, guys. But I know when, when you're in the thick of things and it's so dark and you, you can't see your way out, it, it's difficult to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But Paul calls them momentary, and through them they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We need to fix our eyes on what is unseen, not what is seen and experienced. Fourth, they prove our faith to others. Just like Job, God can use us as his example. And fifth, they give God the opportunity to demonstrate his power. 
Paul says, outwardly, we are wasting away. I feel this getting up every single morning. I'm, I'm, I'm deteriorating at an extremely fast rate. But is my heart? Are all these experiences just chipping away at an already fragile heart, bit by bit, pain by pain, trial by trial? God says, no. Our periods of weakness and brokenness allow the resurrection power of Christ to strengthen us moment by moment. This morning, we've hopefully examined the beautiful contents which lie inside these frail containers. Hopefully, we've been encouraged to not give up hope when we get to the end of our rope. God is pruning and molding and strengthening us. Our experiences do not dictate who we really are because we really are amazing children of God, love beyond belief, and no trial lasts forever. But the type of witness we have the ability to become so we, as we seek to serve can last for an eternity. God is ready to use us wherever we are on this journey of life, no matter what we have done or what has occurred in the past. Really, life is about taking sides. With our experiences, especially the ugly, agonizing ones, we have a choice to make. Allow God to take control, to fix things in his timing, make things new, and grow us to serve and help the world around us, or allow Satan, the evil one, to hold us hostage because of our experiences, to beat us down, to claim victory, and to eventually bring harm to those around us as they see us drowning in our own pain, forever rendered hopeless, fruitless, useless. Sometimes by not choosing God to work in our lives, we choose Satan by default. Last, there is a reason for everything, isn't there? And answers will come eventually. You've heard it told to you probably many times, we may not get the answer until we get to heaven. But that's, that's probably true, but extremely unsatisfying. Because we want to know why. And we want to know now. We are so impatient. We are always seeking instant gratification. Perhaps we are very fortunate that God doesn't answer in our timing. We, we may not be able to handle it or want to face the answers. Just as it is about taking sides, it's also about trust. Sometimes we become very bold. I, I know I've done this before. And, and we ask God, or, or more accurate, tell God, use me, use me, let me do amazing things. But then when he challenges us, we refuse to stretch beyond our own barriers. God is a great redeemer. He can redeem everything here on earth and in our souls, but we have to trust him. We have to give up control. We have to be broken sometimes to be put back together stronger than ever. A couple years ago, my youngest, Maya, fell off the monkey bars, busted her arm in half. A lot of you saw the gruesome pictures. It was horrible. Now, a couple years later, that bone is stronger than it was before she broke it. That's what God does. When, when we break, he can make us stronger than ever so we can be used by him, for him, and for the sake of his children. So what this morning? God never wastes what we experience. God's perfect design for us? Servanthood. That is where we really grow. 
That is where God teaches us humility, selflessness, purpose, obedience, and the end result for those we serve and us. Comfort, satisfaction, love, peace, and joy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for, uh, for everything. We are what you've created us to be, Lord. It's in your perfect plan for us. You want us to serve. You want to use us. And, and we have an opportunity to take it to those around us. And whatever it might be, and in prayer, in ministry, and in talking, and sharing, and just loving, Lord. We just thank you so much for all that you give us. But we've got to commit things to you. We've got to give things up to you. Just as in a few moments the offering will be coming around. Just as we give uh, for this ministry, Lord, we also want to be a living sacrifice for you to give, to give to others, to serve, and, and you bless us so richly from it. And we thank you so much for everything this morning and just for loving us and that we are your, your precious children. In Christ's name.